All right, good morning, everyone. It's good to see you here today at Hope and Anchor Church, and happy Mother's Day. I know that this is an exciting day. It's a purely manufactured day. It's a, I think it's clearly only a product of a, of a Hallmark card company, but still, it's taken traction. It's taken root, and uh, we're thankful for all of our moms. Um, I sent my mom a picture this morning of flowers that said, uh, you're such a Dorcas. And it had her scripture reference to Dorcas in Acts chapter 6, that she was a woman of gentleness and compassion. So I hope she was encouraged. I hope you're encouraged. I hope you're, I hope you're a, a big Dorcas too. So anyway. Hey, this morning we are continuing in our uh, learning adventure through the Lord's Prayer. The teaching that Jesus gave uh, during the Sermon on the Mount about how we ought to pray. Jesus says, when you pray, pray like this. As followers of Jesus, we will pray. It's just part of the life with God. We pray, we communicate, we talk because it's at root a relationship. Everything about the life of faith in, in Jesus is couched in terms of family, of father, of child, uh, of being a child of God. I mean, um, it's all in this familial talk. So because of that, there's deep relationship. And in relationships, you think about the deepest relationships you have, you talk. And you talk about uh, fun things and not so fun things, easy things, but also hard things. We talk. Uh, and so Jesus wanted to make sure we understood that we are welcome into conversation with God. That God is attentive and He's waiting to respond. So Jesus found it important to tell us and teach us and show us a way that we ought to pray, interact with God. And I think it's good time well spent for us then to uh, look to Jesus' teachings and try to work that into our own practice of the faith. This is week number four, and today's message is called Lament. Lament. Uh, now, by now, this is, like I said, the fourth week of our series, and you would think that we would be working through the beloved phrases of the Lord's Prayer by now. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Right? Well, we're not quite yet. Um, we're not going to start doing that just yet. I don't blame you for feeling a little bit antsy, though, because we want to get at the heart of what Jesus is teaching, and I think we will. But in the church, sometimes we have to be careful of our tendency to just want to get down to business. We've kind of grown accustomed to keeping things simple, uh, minimizing complexity, and just really getting down to expose, expositing the passages. But I feel like it's important for us in this series, among others, uh, to really take our time in working up to that. We need to set the stage, examine the background, the backdrop, uh, the human nature uh, to which Jesus was speaking when He taught us the Lord's Prayer. When we talk about things that present unexpected challenges in our faith, I think it's best to be patient. I think it's best to take our time and to work slowly toward a better understanding. Don't you? I mean, I could just give you a whole bunch of information and, and word studies and things like that, but me as a, as a teacher, as a, as a shepherd in this flock, I want to say, hey, I want you to know Jesus. I want you to know what Jesus desires for you. I want to, you to understand what God is offering to you in Jesus, what He's offering to you in a life of prayer. So specifically, in the area of prayer, I believe it is time well spent to carefully address issues that can make our experience with prayer challenging and also often discouraging. We've talked in weeks past about how praying can sometimes be frustrating. Prayer can be discouraging. And why is that? 
Well, let's start today by talking about the towering promises about prayer that we find in Scripture, uh, and then compare that, contrast it with the lived experience of Christians in relationship, or in relation to prayer. Okay, because the Bible talks a lot about prayer. Jesus talks a lot about prayer. And sometimes it sets up these towering promises, but then our experience with it is like, what? Did I miss the exit? Did I, you know, did I miss something here? Because it's not quite that simple. It's not working that way. Um, let's begin by sitting with Jesus, okay? Let's gather around Jesus and let's hear Jesus speak to us. Let's hear what Jesus has to say about prayer and about the power of faith. Notice, we're going to read four passages here, and I've handed those out. So if I handed you a, read, a scripture reading, get it warmed up. But Jesus says a lot about prayer. And in every one of these four things, he says, listen, I'm telling you the truth. Or hear what I am telling you. He wants us to know, and Jesus is telling us the truth. So uh, first, Matthew chapter 17, verse 20. Okay, go ahead and stand and read it in your good theater voice. You don't have enough faith, Jesus told them. I tell you the truth, if you had faith even as small as a mustard seed... You could say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it would move. Nothing would be impossible. <laughs> what? That's such a well-known passage. You know, we hold to that. We believe it, but it's like a mountain? Really? I've never seen that actually happen. But do we believe it? Jesus himself is saying, I tell you the truth. So there's something true about what Jesus is telling us here. How about this? Matthew chapter 18, verse 19. I also tell you this. If two of you agree here on earth concerning anything you ask, my Father in heaven will do it for you. Thanks. How about Mark chapter 11, verses 22 through 24? Then Jesus said to his disciples, Have faith in God. I tell you the truth. You can say to this mountain, May you be lifted up and thrown into the sea, and it will happen. But you must really believe it will happen and have no doubt in your heart. I tell you this. You can pray for anything... And if you believe that you've received it, it will be yours. Amen. And finally, John chapter 14, verses 12 through 14. I tell you the truth, anyone who believes in me will do the same works I have done, and even greater works, because I am going to be with the Father. You can ask for anything in my name, and I will do it, so that the Son can bring glory to the Father. Yes, ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. So Jesus thought it was important for us to know that we're invited to pray. We're invited to trust in Him. And there are certain keys that we can pick up on here that's like, according to His will, uh, so that God might be glorified. And sometimes that kind of has to shape and temper our attitude and our asking. Because it must be in alignment with God's will. I will hazard to say that most of us who have been following after Jesus have taken His promises about prayer and about the power of faith seriously. And uh, I would hazard also to say that many of you have found yourself in situations where you've been clinging to those promises. You've been clinging to uh, what Jesus has said about the power of faith as you've prayed, haven't you? I mean, good grief. Life is tough sometimes. And you've been left with nothing else to rely upon except uh, faith. Only if God's, God acts in this situation will I be del delivered. Will I make it through? We have all found ourselves pressing into His promises of mountains and mustard seeds. We have all been clinging like, God, help my faith at least be the size of a mustard seed. We've prayed in faith. 
We've believed for the healing of loved ones who are sick and dying. We have, uh, we have believed in the relief of financial needs. We have believed in the disappearance of pimples before prom. <laughs> I know you've prayed about that too. I ha we have felt the anguish, the anguish of having no other options. The anguish of having no other options but for God to act, whether praying to get out of a bad situation or to gain wisdom in the face of a complex decision or simply to just be healed to live another day. When I was a young lad in maybe sixth or seventh grade, I was often afflicted with severe fever blisters. Has anyone here ever had fever blisters? I mean like outbreaks of fever blisters. Whole sections of my lips would erupt with multiple sores, causing a lot of pain, swelling, and embarrassment, making me want to hide. Making me want to hide from my friends, from the, my school, from my world, and everybody in it, whether I knew them or not. I hated it, and it would always happen at the worst imaginable time. I remember one occasion in middle school when my lips became very afflicted very afflicted and blistered while I was, exactly when I was experiencing a crush on a young lass in my same grade named Lynette Brindley. Lynette Brindley. I was determined to win her heart. And I devised stratagems to do as much. But these dang cold sores, they were ruining all of my plans. At the worst possible moment, cold sores. Knowing my parents would never let me miss school, because this is back in the like, 80s. Parents didn't let you skip school for this kind of stuff. My parents would never let me miss school for a case of cold sores, so I resigned myself to much fervent prayer. I resigned myself to much fervent prayer and the liberal application of chapstick. It's back in the 80s, that's all you had to work with. Chapstick. As I lay me down to sleep the night before, I claimed all of the promises of Scripture regarding prayer, fairly boxing God in with requests, and even saying, in Jesus' name, many, many times. <laughs> Additionally, I did what I could to ensure a miraculous overnight healing by repeatedly applying the orange-flavored stick of lip balm my mom had given me. Falling asleep that night, guys? I had real, childlike faith. My mustard seed faith would have this mountain, would move this mountain of cold sores. It was going to happen. I would awaken to lips restored. Morning light would shine upon a miracle healing in response to my fervent, believing prayers. I remember waking up in the morning with anticipation. I woke up with anticipation and I, 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 I waited a few moments to just savor it. And I, and I lifted my hands slowly to my lips to assess the miracle, fully expecting to hear the trumpets of heaven, to hear the trumpets of heaven with choirs of angels singing, only to be disappointed. Only to be disappointed. My lips were raw, my lips were swollen, and now my lips were orange. 
In my fervor for healing, my desperation for healing, I had applied so much orange chapstick that the entire perimeter of my mouth was stained orange like a clown. Like, like a horrifying nimbus of shame. The orange dye was so absorbed into my skin that no amount of washing could remove it. We've got tissues up here somewhere. As I looked into the mirror that morning, my young life flashed before my eyes. My hopes of romance were dashed. I was doomed. I mean, when you're a teenager, your world's pretty small still. And everything in my world in that moment had gone bad. I was doomed. There was no future. There was no tomorrow. I was doomed. So I had to go to school that day with severe fever blisters accentuated by orange clown lips to be seen by Lynette Brinley. My psyche was forever scarred and our love was forever scorned. I'm not sure my orange lips were solely to blame, but Lynette never fell under my spell. Our relationship, our relationship never deepened or blossomed into any kind of romantic relationship. We never married. Um, <laughs> So why am I telling you this? Why am I unzipping my viscera and letting you know just the, the, the deep down hurts that I've borne? <laughs> I, I'm better now, but still. <laughs> I know as I'm telling you that story, though, you've got your own stories. You've got those times where you've laid yourself in the hands of God and said, please, if you don't act, I am doomed. Maybe it wasn't fever blisters. Maybe it wasn't orange chapstick, but there was something you've known so what's the deal? If we are honest, I think we have all felt a small degree of disappointment when God doesn't answer our prayers. Have you ever felt that disappointment when God, you did your part, you, you truly believed you did your part and just God didn't do His and you felt some disappointment. Nothing seemed to change. You know, Grandma's Alzheimer's, it got worse. It still progressed. The car broke down and it stayed broke down. The bills keep coming in when they know you don't have money. The cancer, it still spreads. Lassie doesn't come home. You know how it feels. The answered prayer never comes. We feel pressure to put a brave face on it though, don't we? Because we're, fate, we're Christians, right? We've got to kind of spin it in a way that it makes sense, that it hurts a little bit less. We, we try to put a brave face on it. We chalk it up to God doing His will and His way, which is true. I mean, clearly, uh, there's a song that says, Sometimes I thank God for unanswered prayers. I know you know that song. I think it's Garth Brooks, right? But how many times in life have you looked back and you had prayed like crazy till your sweat fell like big drops of blood? But then just even months or years later, you look back and like, oh man, thank you Lord for not answering that prayer. Yeah, so we, we do. We say God, God is working in His way and His, according to His will, and that's true. But we have to be honest enough to say we get frustrated about that. That can be extremely discouraging. Yet, we're caught in this strange space as a Christian, as a Christ follower. We don't ever really feel free to express our frustration, do we? We feel like we have to be happy. There has to be okay automatically with it. And sometimes we're not okay, are we? 
I mean, I stand here in this room each week and I know that some of you are just a bloody mess. You're just raw. Yet you sit here and you have to act like you've got it together and you don't. Do we feel comfortable expressing our real frustrations to God? Our, our frustrations about unanswered prayers? Here's the thing, though, and we find encouragement in this. We can find encouragement in this. If we look to Scripture, we don't find this sort of thing happening. We don't find that pretense. We don't find that pressure to like smile and act like we're okay when we're really walking wounded. If we look to Scripture, we'll find those writing there to be much more open about their complaints. In their relationship with God, they're much more open about their complaints and about their laments to God, frustrated, oftentimes, about this specific thing. Frustrated about prayer. Did you know this, that the book of Psalms... Over one-third of the Psalms are laments. Do you know what laments are? It's crying out. It's complaining. Over 50 of the Psalms contain complaints, dissatisfaction, dissonance, uh, discomfort. Over 50 of the Psalms, they include complaints to God about everything from abuse from enemies to God's apparent inaction and unconcern. Uh, look at this. Let's do just a brief survey. Uh, Psalm 10. Look at Psalm 10, uh, verses uh, 1 through 13. Psalm 10, 1 through 13. O oh Lord, why do you stand so far away? Why do you hide when I am in trouble? The wicked arrogantly hunt down the poor. Let them be caught in the evil they plan for others, for they brag about their evil desires. They praise the greedy and curse the Lord. The wicked are too proud to seek God. They seem to think that God is dead, yet they succeed in everything they do. They do not see your punishment awaiting them. They sneer at all their enemies. They think, nothing bad will ever happen to us. We will be free of trouble forever. Their mouths are full of cursing and lies and threats. Trouble and evil are on the tips of their tongues. They lurk in ambush in the villages, waiting to murder innocent people. They are always searching for helpless victims. Like lions crouching and hiding, they wait to pounce on the helpless. Like hunters, they capture the helpless and drag them away in nets. Their helpless victims are crushed. They fall beneath the strength of the wicked. The wicked think, God isn't watching us. He has closed his eyes and won't even see what we do. Arise, O Lord! Punish the wicked! O oh God, do not ignore the helpless. Why do the wicked get away with despising God? They think God will never call us to account. Do you hear it? Have you ever prayed this, been so bold to pray this way? I mean, as we read this, we get it, but it's just like, wow, that's pretty bold to say, God, why are you ignoring people? Why are you ignoring your people? Because that's laying in accusations like, God, you are doing this. You're not listening. You're not paying attention and you're not acting. Why? Uh, let's look at uh, uh, Psalm 6. Psalm 6, just the next page over probably. Psalm 6, verses 1 through 7. O Lord, don't rebuke me in your anger or discipline me in your rage. Have compassion, Lord, for I am weak. Heal me, Lord, for my bones are in agony. I am sick at heart. How long, O Lord, until you restore me? How long, O Lord, until you restore me? Return, O Lord, and rescue me. Save me because of your unfailing love. For the dead do not remember you. Who can praise you from the grave? I am worn out from sobbing. 
All night my flood, I flood my bed with weeping, drenching it, drenching it with my tears. My vision is blurred with grief. My eyes are worn out because of all my enemies. Then one last, uh, Psalm 42, verses 1 through 3. As the deer longs for streams of water, so I long for you, O God. I thirst for God, the living God. Where can I go and stand before Him? Day and night, I have only tears for food. While my, enemy continually taunt, my enemies continually taunt me, saying, Where is this God of yours? Do you hear it? Do you feel it? Man, that's pretty bleak. Really honest. And apparently welcomed by God. People like Moses, like Jeremiah, like Job, and like David, they spent a lot of time frustrated with God. What? Yeah. They spent a measurable amount of their time frustrated with the God in whom they believed. They spent a lot of time frustrated with God and how He was doing, or apparently wasn't doing, what He promised He would do. But in contrast, think about what we read in the Bible and then con contrast that with the typical worship gathering in the American church. Do these words sound like the words we're comfortable singing to God? Speaking to God? When was the last time we sang a song of lament? A song complaining to God? Like, oh my God, this sucks. You know, <laughs> we don't do that. We're not comfortable uh, doing that when we gather for worship. How many of our songs accurately describe our frustration? How many, I mean, if the Psalms are one third of them are complaints, it's okay to assume then that a third of our time is spent not quite happy, not quite comfortable in our walk with God. But how many of our songs describe frustration or disappointment about how we've been left twisting in the wind, about those times when we've seen, it seems like we've been abandoned, times when we have decided to cling to our faith and we don't have a lot to show for it. I know it would, be, it would be weird, it would be strange to take a Sunday and just sing sad songs about complaint and griping, um, but, and I'm not saying we need to write more songs or sing more dismal, whiny, or Debbie Downer songs, but I do think that we need to be, to be more okay with lament and with the existence of complaint in our life with God, because I believe that the ability, the comfort level, the, 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 the sense of uh, belonging with God that allows us to complain to Him, to lay out our lament, is the path to deeper intimacy. Because, think about it, the deepest, most durable relationships you have have been forged through good times and bad times. Joyful conversations, but also difficult, tearful conversations. When we lay out our complaint, when we're honest enough to share the places we're hurt and broken and upset and frustrated, uh, that breaks through, leading us into a deeper place of trust and ability, uh, a deeper ability, a fuller ability to hear and to express. I think we need to be more okay with lament and complaint in our life with God. Of the Psalms, specifically the Psalms of lament, Philip Yancey writes, the Psalms keep us honest by furnishing words to prayers I would not pray apart from their prompting. And this is what the Psalms can be. It can become a prayer book for us, giving us words when we don't feel like we have the words. 
I have learned to pray more humanly by reading the Psalms and making them my prayers. As I read Psalms of anger and revenge, I have to face the same tendencies in myself. The Psalms expose to the light resentments and wounds long hidden. I find it liberating that God welcomes, even encourages, it, encourages me to face into my dark side in my prayers. I can trust God with my secrets. I can trust God with my secrets. Knowing then that we can, as Yancey says, face into our dark side with God, how then should we approach prayer? Are there guiding thoughts that can help us calibrate our thinking when it comes to prayer then? Here again, Philip Yancey, he helps us bring our thoughts together. He goes on to say, Jesus taught us a model prayer, the Lord's Prayer. But otherwise, he gave few rules about prayer. His teaching reduces down to three general principles. Three general principles that Jesus gives us about prayer. Keep it honest, keep it simple, and keep it up. Keep it honest, keep it simple, and keep it up. Mainly, Jesus pressed home that we come as beloved children to a Father who loves us in advance and cares deeply about our lives. Ask young parents what is the correct way for their toddlers to approach them, and you will probably get a puzzled look. What's the correct way for my, toddler, my child to approach me? What's the correct way for your toddler to approach them? You'll probably get a puzzled look. The correct way? Being a parent means you do your best to remain available to your children and responsive to their needs. As Jesus said, if a human parent responds with compassion and not hostility, how much more will God? The trail of God at work rarely follows a straight line, which means our prayers may well produce different answers than we expect. For whatever reason, God's sense of irony, antagonistic spiritual powers, the vicissitudes of a fallen planet, prayers get answered in ways we could neither predict nor imagine. So we talked about last week that prayer is reaching across the liminal space. It's, it's reaching through a doorway into a space that we really don't understand. If we're praying into the very place and presence of God, Clearly, we must also hold to the understanding that more is going on there than we can understand. So what we're asking for is, is being heard and is being received and understood in a, in a scope and scale that is far beyond our capacity. Prayers get answered in ways we could neither predict nor imagine. So what should we do? How ought we respond? Well, here's a good starting point, and Yancey laid it out well for us. Let's keep it honest. Let's keep it simple, and let's keep it up. As you pray, as we pray, let's do that. Let's trust that Jesus is telling the truth. And then let's keep it honest, let's keep it simple, and then let's keep it up. I believe that is a good word for us today. So I'm going to invite the musicians to come up. We're going to worship a little bit more. And uh, for today, I've got a closing meditation. Uh, I've been holding on to this closing meditation since... Uh, 1413. This is an ancient prayer from someone named, uh, a woman named Julian of Norwich. She was an anchorite during the Middle Ages, during the medieval times. But she had this to say about prayer. I want you to listen and I want this to be our closing meditation. I'm going to read it three times. 
I'm going to read it three times. Listen to it. Hear it. But also make it your own. May this be our prayer today. Lord, you know what I want. If it is your will that I have it, or if it is not your will, do, do not be displeased with my prayer, for I do not want anything that you do not want. Lord, you know what I want. If it is your will that I have it, or if it is not your will, do not be displeased with my prayer, for I do not want anything that you do not want. Lord, you know what I want. If it is your will that I have it, or if it is not your will, do not be displeased with my prayer, for I do not want anything that you do not want. Amen.